Hello, everyone, and welcome to Documentation Not Included, a tech industry podcast presented by DNI Stream, the live knowledge repository for software professionals. It is the first Thursday of 2021. Yay! It's 7 p.m. GMT. We're live on twitch.tv slash DNI stream. I'm Josie Howarth, and as always, I am joined by my true penny, straight-fingered, omnipotently OP co-host, Chris Seabach. Now, I have to make note of this. The omnipotently OP was in the script. I, I didn't write the script. I, however, it was one of the had Christmas a true penny elves. and true... Oh. Oh, one of the Christmas... Do you know what? It doesn't make a difference. It was in the script, but I added the true penny and straight fingered. I don't think I'm familiar necessarily with the, the, the term true penny. I've, I think I've heard it, but I don't know what it means. A true penny and straight fingered individual is someone who you can absolutely guarantee will be blunt and honest with you. Oh, oh okay. And it is full of great respect I, because they are that. a true penny, not a fake penny. And they are straight-fingered, not crooked-fingered. Okay, right. Well, I agree with that. Thank you. Oh, of course you do. You're omnipotent. <laughs> I am. Well. <laughs> Omnipotently OP. I mean, the elves agree, but I'm not sure I'm not sure I do. So, yeah, so th thank you very much, Josie. Much appreciated. And it's always nice to have a good introduction. And it's always nice to have people in chat as well. A big hello to everybody. Please do get involved with the show, as you all know. Um, it is live, and we do take questions, answers, and we will respond and uh, put your bits up on screen if things come up. And I haven't got the, the little thing that does that up. I just remembered. This is the first one of 2020 and I, 2021, <laughs> and I haven't have uh, There's a slight technical issue. <laughs> oh, welcome to DNI Stream. We're definitely the software repository, knowledgey people who do the things. But anyway, before we begin, like always, we're going to have an icebreaker. It's a question we ask, and please feel free to respond in chat or send us messages on Twitter in the future when you listen to this on Spotify or wherever it is you happen to listen to our show. But this is usually a question to get to know us better and, of course, to keep ourselves from talking about the topic too soon. So, Chris, it's a simple one. What's one of your favorite gifts this Christmas? PS5, because I'm six years old. <laughs> No, um, I'm not surprised. <laughs> my favorite, one of my favorite gifts this Christmas. Honestly, I got a PS5. My wife bought me one. She tried desperately to keep it secret, but she didn't succeed at all. I didn't know it was there, but I knew she was. She's just really mm. bad. She's got a really bad poker face, you know. And she, she even she dropped hints like like months before. She was like, "Well, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to get your pre you know big present for the Christmas because it's uh, it's in you know it's hard to get hold of and it's in." And I'm like, "Well, there's nothing else that I'm going to want, is there? That's not that's hard to get hold of." And if you know, anyway, she uh. she did really well at the same time. I didn't know for definite, but it's a good present. Anyway, my favorite present this Christmas, in fact is a present I gave to my wife. Just before Christmas, um, we lost our cat, our big meow cat, and I spent about three days creating like a, a mon not a montage, like a, a homage to, to him. And it was, um, I made a little model of him, and I, I made it out of dry clay, put him on a little fence and put him, put him in a frame, put some photos there and put his name in, etc. And she, she loved it. And she cried before she even opened it because of what I've wrote on the front of it. So I got what I wanted. I wanted her to cry. <laughs> but yeah, You so wanted I, your wife to cry for Christmas. I, I did, I did. 
It was you a good what? cry, though. I have to say, <laughs> like like a decade ago, like when Kindles were a thing, etc. You know, my husband got me a Kindle for Christmas, and I literally cried. And he bragged to everybody that he made his wife cry. Crying for Christmas so is the he best. Just says, mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. That's yes, right. For me, I added skulls. Yay! To my collection. So, and it's fantastic because I have a green screen and there's actually yeah. <laughs> green on this, but you can kind of see how it's all, you know. Very nice. And for very those intricate. of you who are listening to us in the future, you'll just have to go to YouTube in order to see these amazing skulls that green screen out to present really <laughs> awkward looking faces. That's creepy. Are they though, bright right? green, the bits that we can't see then? Yeah, they are. They're basically the green kind of that you see above my head in the actual code. So, yeah, I was about to say, in the, in the code on the screen, there's sort of that colored green, um, which is fascinating. But I got a whole bunch of those. And, um, yeah, that made my day. I also got a Cthulhu eating a skull mug. So my nice. sense of humor has absolutely been catered to. I, uh, I... I... More debugging skulls, yes. <laughs> I, got, I got I got way too much chocolate as well, and I've put in a ridiculous amount, and not just normal Christmas eating, but I've put in a ridiculous amount of weight on as well, and I'm desperately trying to lose it now because <laughs> I'm not fitting into my clothes, and I'm struggling. My knees are not saying nice things to me when Ooh. I go for a run and a walk and things like that. I need to... been a bad one this year. Bad one. Anyway, should we move on uh, to the show yeah. then? Yeah. Um, yes, if, we if actually I, have a show to talk about. We show, do. We have a topic. We do. So today's show is entitled mm. The Forever Game. Um, we're going to be looking at software, mm. well, best book software maintenance, really, because um, there's lots of different ways we can look at software maintenance. But because, you know, we are software developers, we do provide software services to our clients. We have to maintain that software in lots of different ways. So let's start by discussing what maintenance yeah. in terms of best book software is. So let's start with a question, Josie. Can you give us some context and can you tell us what you think about when having to maintain the software element that you provide to your customers because you don't just do software you also worry about the hardware and the, the, the security no. side of things we're talking about specifically I, I maintenance of software yeah in this particular case um the there i have to look at it from multiple perspectives one i have to look at functionality is what is being provided functionally performing for the end user is it performing the task that has been asked of it? Whether it's allowing someone to log in or storing information in a database or whatever. So the functionality is what I have to maintain. I also have to maintain the security of things, obviously. And then I have to maintain the platforms themselves. So when it comes to um, what I think about it, I kind of try to go with a KISS principle which is the keep it simple, stupid. Mm. Um, I try to not push too fast into the latest, greatest technologies or the bleeding edge. That's not my company, as the case may be. I'm not here to take you to the edge. I'm here to make certain that you don't have to fall off the edge. <laughs> so I try to find ways of maintaining that are very easy, very simple, and capable of being error checked when it comes to that that edge um you know being sitting on that cusp sit, sitting at the cutting edge mm. i have a similar 
So Josie and I, for those who are listening new, have slightly different ways of, uh, of delivering software to our clients. I write best book software. I write stuff from scratch um, using frameworks and tools and software development language, you know, languages, software development tools, all kinds of things. Josie does as well, but you more you provide more package based stuff like WordPress sites Correct. and that kind of thing. Your so, and so all you, the good stuff. That goes you with have it. you have usually there's a, there's a, a prescribed way to maintain and update your software, but it still is quite intricate. Mm. It is, and I think one of the more complicated sides of things is when you start doing anything, like even within, say, the Drupal and the WordPress communities or like any CMS out there, you have your core, and that is whatever that platform happens to be. That core is going to do its own thing. It's going to update under its own development life cycle. It's going to have its own priorities. Uh, A perfect example is this latest greatest thing with Gutenberg coming out in the WordPress community and it basically blowing up to the fact that one of the most downloaded plugins for WordPress was disabling it. Um, you know, right. Disabling it, WordPress, or? No, disabling Gutenberg. What's Gutenberg? Sorry, I'm not Gut- familiar with that. Well, Gutenberg is a... They've, they've taken... I don't know. Have you ever actually used WordPress? Yeah, I mean, I know okay. the rough concept. The rough concept. So in the back end where you fill in the post or the page. Yep. Uh, you would fill it in and then, you know, obviously you can do your styling on the side. They built in a visual editor into the back end because I think they're trying to compete with visual theming or something like, I don't exactly know what their thinking was for it. But the blocks and Gutenberg is all about that sort of visual style and you can just press a button and all of a sudden a header is present or press a button in a paragraph or an image is present or what have you. WYSIWYGs it's- like site builder it, it's it's literally a visual builder it's a yeah. site builder yeah it's a WYSIWYG but anyway this this whole thing gets introduced and there was a huge uproar because it was not accessible there were accessibility issues mm-hmm. and there were a couple of other issues that came with it uh, and it ended up being the kind of thing where I have some clients who are like hey this is really cool and I have other clients who are like if I see that on my site I am deleting it so for me, I have to, that's, that's just the core platform itself. Yeah, yeah. So I have to compensate for whatever the core platform is. And then on top of that, any um, extra code that's been written to make the site functionally work the way the client has intended. So for example, turning it into, I love using this with you, a guinea pig's website. Yay. Um, yep. So, you know, having the custom post types and things like that, you know, those things have to be maintained as well, especially uh, if you're using PHP versions and they're upgrading. So they, those packages or those additional features or those customizations have to be updated in line with the core mm. platform and the plugin updates, which are two yep. distinctly separate things. Now, Absolutely. generally, how long, let's say, for example, uh, How long do you leave it until you maintain or run a maintenance cycle or perform some maintenance on one of your clients' websites? Generally, what's the time scale? Is it it daily? So every every one of your clients, you look at their sites every day and click some buttons and do some upgrades and do some updates, et cetera. 
Well, it's it's a little, I have a platform. This, this goes back to the whole keeping it simple, stupid. I have a platform that monitors. Um, and if I happen to see that there is a security alert for a plugin, which happens insanely frequently. Oh, yes. When the WordPress community, I think it was just released that like 36% of the websites on the web are WordPress based. Um, and Drupal has its own issues and things that go with it. But the fact that it is so prolific and so out there, it's a, it's a viable target. I mean, oh, yeah, definitely. Just, it's just a thing. So I have to pay attention to when the security things and alerts are happening. And if they're happening, I, my clients are very aware of this. I will force an upgrade on your site for security, period. I do not care if it breaks your site. I do not care if it does something that makes me have to go in and do an extra two hours worth of work. I was going to say, so how, how often does that happen? And when you do that, do you run the update and then react to it or do you do like a, a test update on, somewhere and it then... depends entirely upon what the vector of attack is uh to be perfectly blunt because if the vector of attack is just simply it's a cross-site scripting thing that has been found in something that has been in wordpress for years but someone just happened to find a zero day thing yeah that gets updated and i'll react to it later because that is a easily accessible vector of attack. If instead the vector of attack is the user has to be um, logged in, then I'm not going to panic as much because my clients don't allow user registration for some of their sites. Yeah. The ones that do, I would worry about. So it's being very uh, aware of exactly what each client needs, what's happening, and what the alerts are. Because it's... Unfortunately, we live in a day and age where if you have anything online, it is a vector for attack. So I, 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 because of that, I do run checks on a daily basis. I also have checks that are running hourly. And yes, I do get that notification in the middle of the night that kind of says, you might need to get up and see what the heck is going on. I do have those on occasion. Not frequently, mind you, because of how I have the platform set up, but they do happen, which is why I'm looking at going more static. But that's a that's the upgrade process. It's that it's the name of the show. It's the forever game. You stop. There's a problem. You become vulnerable. <laughs> you become outdated. Even mm -hmm. functionality can be lost. This is one of the big ones I've got right now. I have a client who's about to lose functionality because we actually need to put time in and modify something that they got from someone else that was written for an older version of PHP that will no longer be supported, which is important. Yes. So my my problems are much different from yours. Yes, they are. But but the the software products that I produce sometimes they are public, and the security usually isn't my problem if you know what i mean but making sure that we're on the latest version of things i don't mean that it's not my problem and i don't care about it because i design securely first everything i do yes, i want do. to be on the latest patches i want to be on the latest package versions i want to be on the latest um, framework at least security patches anyway from a security point of view but when it comes to actually maintaining the software there is um there's a few things that come to mind. One is technical debt and being able to manage that technical debt. So technical debt is something like, I'll get to mm -hmm. it later. Mm -hmm. I'll make sure, I'll hack it together now. I'll fix it so it works. And then we'll deal with the wider problem, which let's yeah, say, for example, uh, not necessarily. It depends on the kind of, um, it depends on the kind of maintenance cycle you have in place and the mindset you have as well. Um, 
I work with some mm-hmm. clients that couldn't care less about technical debt and they're constantly chasing it and they're constantly chasing their own tail to try and uh, fix things up and get things working. I've got other clients that I work with that um, I might, I mean, bear in mind that when I deliver my own stuff, I deliver things with technical debt in mind and I will cater for that in my estimates that I give them and I say, right, this is going to take me four days and they're right, well, that's not that complex. What have you considered this, this, this and this? No, I haven't. And then a lot of the time clients will be like, that doesn't matter to me. Mm. I don't care that that you haven't got the latest patch on that that package on that NuGet package or that NPM package or things like that. But it depends on where the site <laughs> is being oh, go, hosted. Go, 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 <laughs> But the problem the problem we've got it, well, the, the the main difference that you and I have, uh, Josie, is that most of my applications that I write are they are dark web not dark web, that's the wrong one, deep web, sorry. They are deep web applications, which is basically anything that's hidden behind a login screen, basically. That's that's a deep web um, application. Right, yeah. And, or they are completely closed in a, a secure environment where patches don't matter so much because they're behind firewalls, because the the computers that they're running on if it's a desktop application or even if it's a website that is just being accessed on an internet inter- intranet internally um or something that's been ha- hosted mm-hmm. in a a closed cloud um environment you know that or you know some kind of subnet of of a um of a virtual network in the cloud or something most of the time the environments that my applications get pushed to are in those environments so patching and zero day security fixes aren't usually a major issue. As soon as you publish something to the web and it is available on a public website, whether it's behind a login or not, that's when it, security updates become a much mm-hmm. more serious matter. So what, where I approach this from See, in terms I of software... See, I agree with that. Go on. To a point. Okay. All right. So I was going to say, even if... I think we've got a delay. There's a... There's a the, yeah, I think we do have a delay. Just so in case people are unaware, it just because people probably aren't, my motherboard is dying. And what this produces is a lag effect. And it's been building for the past, oh gosh, I'd say three or four months. I'll have a new PC in like three weeks time because graphics cards, try getting a hold of one. I dare you, like a good one. But um, so we're going to have some weird sound delay issues and we apologize in advance for that. But um uh, there's a whole concept that we could go into about when security needs to be handled or how it needs to be handled, et cetera, which I'm not going to get into because no. I'll sidetrack us entirely into a security talk. Let's not do that. Let's stick with the concept of what you were saying, though. So I tend to I <laughs> tend to stick when I'm talking about software maintenance. I'm talking about the management of technical debt in general because that is definitely part right. of the maintenance life cycle because there may be jobs that you do mm-hmm. you may i'll write right i'll write this service or i'll write this class or this piece of code um, i'll use a third party library yeah. for example today <clears throat> i wrote a library that creates thumbnails um, out of png images gif images jpeg images and avis and mp4s it's just a library that does all of that kind of thing and i thought right why rewrite the book there's probably a million packages out there that already do this in the C-sharp world. Let's have a look. There were. So I chose one, mm. and I went with it. It seems to be quite popular. It's still well-supported. But if that package ever doesn't become supported, 
and stops getting updates yep. and all the company decide they don't want to focus on security or security becomes a big thing or maybe it breaks for some reason because the .NET framework has moved on and they haven't moved on, then you have to change that. So what we have to do is we have to design um, um, design around that. The way that we design our software really feeds into it. However, I'm getting to a point here, by the way. The reason that that's important is if we don't design um, a, an adapter around it or some kind of abstraction around this particular call, we would have mm -hmm. that code and that library everywhere would depend on it. Everywhere that needs to do a thumbnail change would depend on this library. But if we yes. wrap it and we abstract it, then we can deal with that abstraction in a much easier way in the future. And that's just one of the benefits of abstraction. But that's a, a key thing for software maintenance for me, that I can make a decision now to very quickly I write an abstraction around something. And then I can, in the future, make the actual, you know, I can have a discussion with somebody like an architect or, or a client and say, right, I've used this library now. If you don't want to use this one, fine, I'll strip it out and replace it. But everything that we've linked it into and all of the work that we've done that needs to create thumbnails in the various different places, it's all, you know, it's already linked in. We don't have to re, we have to, don't have to change that. We've got the signatures in place for the, for the code, etc. So that to me is a key part, being able to design around it and deal with the technical debt in the future. <clears throat> See, that's the same thing within what I do, you know, it makes no difference where I'm doing it. All it takes is, uh, I tend to look at it from the perspective of the functionality uh, because what it comes down to is you have a functionality, you're, you're making thumbnails. That is the basic function of what you're doing. Um, one of the things that I think I love about software is the fact that you can do that in a variety of different ways. And you can have that communication between the different tools that do it and what is actually the end result, as long as you have, like you said, the wrapper present. The same thing happens within what I do too. I think one of the more difficult things that people tend to forget especially if they're not in our industry, which is why I think, you know, they hire people like us, Chris, <laughs> is that stuff does update. Mm -hmm. You know, a package can, uh, we've seen um, repositories get updated with code and had to figure out, well, the API is changing for this place. We need to do this. Um, and we have to completely change how we're making these calls because of this particular thing. Like we see that all the time, but our clients don't. And trying to explain to them Just because I'm handing this over to you doesn't mean that you are done for life. Doesn't always work. That, that there's that adage that I've repeated multiple times on this show, and I repeat to my clients on a regular basis that software is never finished, only abandoned. That should be on my tombstone. That <laughs> I should just get you a t. I'll get you a mug for Christmas. Get me next a t-shirt with it on, <laughs> or for your birthday. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>, maybe. <laughs> but, uh, but but see, that's that's the absolute truth. And it's it when we went when we were discussing um, the life cycle of software in general, and we were talking about agile development and you know Scrum and everything else that goes with it. I mean, one of the the core things that sticks in my mind is the acknowledgement that features and bugs will always be needed. Well, features will always be needed, bugs will always be present. I mean, that's nothing is perfect. Apart from my and, code, there's no bugs in my well, code. 
well, Chris, everybody knows that you're omnipotent and omnipresent. Sure. Well, let's start giving you om names. <laughs> Omnichris. Uh, Omnichris. <laughs> wow. Now you're making me think of Mass Effect. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like, for example, PHP Storm. It is used to help debug PHP. It is used to help in the development process. That itself gets updates. Mm-hmm. You know, every tool that we use can update, which could change drastically how we do things. Visual Studio Code update in every 10 seconds, pretty much. Visual Studio Code. Okay. I love VS Code. Don't get me wrong. I have a friend who actually has their name in the contributions for fixing and adding features and things like that. But my gosh, that thing needs to stop with its updates. It is. The <laughs> Every single time I open its it. Its cadence is, is quicker than my running cadence, put it that way. It's ridiculous. Or I'm very slow, one of the two. Um, uh. so, so on top of writing abstractions and dealing with technical debt, we have the actual upgrades of packages as well. Now, there's also, we can bring into this as well something... Um, or we can we can consider the packages that we use that we need to upgrade that we need to maintain for security reasons or for feature reasons. Hopefully, when we select them, they, if it's an open source one in particular, or even to be fair, even in the commercial world, world there's a few companies that don't adhere to this strictly. If they use version version management properly and they use something like Semver to release the packages, we can make very quick decisions on this release. This particular package, which is version, we're on version 3.2, let's say, of the package. 3.2.1 mm-hmm. comes out. That should just be a bug fix or a, or a patch. It shouldn't be breaking change. Great, get it in there. 3.3 right. comes out, and we have to look at it and go, probably just new features. If it, the following semver properly, this is just going to be new features. Nothing will be broken. You know, there's no breaking changes. So let's get that one in as well. Test it a bit more thoroughly, but generally just get that in there as well. But when it comes to version 4, of the software, then we would expect things to be broken. We would expect the integration that we've done to have a little bit more effort. So those kind of upgrades probably need to be considered a little bit more. Those That kind of maintenance. But it's not always the... um, (laughs) It's not always the case, unfortunately. No. No, it isn't. Especially... How many times have you gone and you've read the patch notes for a particular tool or package that you were using and you're like, yeah, okay, okay, yeah. And you go and you update and then you find a hidden fix that they didn't list and it has absolutely screwed you over. Have you ever had that happen? Most of the time I don't read the patch notes. Most of the time I just look at the version numbers and go, that's all right, get it in. That's not all right. Or I'm, I'm, I am quite seriously. <laughs> I had to change stuff like that before. I am a lot of my clients' worst nightmare because I will just go into a code base because I know my t- if I'm using Git, you know, a proper software control tool, or even if I'm not, if I'm using SVN or anything like that, if, I, if I'm yeah, I using a software control tool, software source control tool, then I, I can revert back to what I was at. So let's just quickly spike it and see what the upgrade ha- does. If we've got a suite of tests... Brilliant. Run the tests and see if everything works. Make sure you run it manually as well and make sure it works as well, you know, with a, with a manual test, a, a quick manual test. And if it doesn't look like anything's majorly broken and the feature that you've updated or the package you've updated, you've tested the features that use it, 
go for it. It's done. That's an upgrade. If it breaks significantly, spend a little bit of time looking at it, but time box that spike and make sure that you're not, you know, you've not um, to see how much work you think it would be to actually upgrade it. Feed that back yeah. into the team, feed that back into the backlog or whatever you're working on and do it when it can be done. But otherwise, I wouldn't just upgrade arbitrarily and expect to... I, I'm not a reactive person. I am usually proactive and when I, I get quite angry when I have to be reactive because it's usually not my fault. Somebody else mm. has done something that's broken something that I'm like, right, <laughs> I can fix this and I will fix this, but I'm going to have to stay up until six in the morning to fix it, you know? Uh, and I'm not saying I haven't oh, done it myself before because I have, yes. you know, I have broken my own things before. But usually I'm in a situation where I can <laughs> control that release cadence and that, you know, that's, maintenance we'll cycle. That that's kind of the, the purpose for why you have things like, you know, dev, test, stage, UX or UI or usability, and then production. You know, you have that sort of pathing that you can walk through to to make certain that everything works. But, you know, well, when it comes down to it, packages aren't the only thing we have to keep an eye on. They're not. And you mentioned earlier on the when we we're talking about WordPress, the core. Upgrading the core of what you're working on, I would consider that something like a framework upgrade. So let's say, for example, I'm yes, working in it, .NET. That's technically all it is, is really just a framework upgrade. Or PHP. I mean, you know, you're working yeah. in something that is a version. So .NET 3.1, mm-hmm. um, oh, I think it was 3.1 was the last one, but 5 got recently released. 5 jumps from 3.1 to 5. Don't ask why. I'm not going to try and explain it. Um the five is basically the latest version and it comes with tons of new features that make code maintenance and make uh, and add lots of new language features into the framework the, the tied to the language it's not quite the same as the framework but let's just for the argument's sake say that dotnet 5 is the new language right so dotnet 5 comes out it's got all these new features you can do all these new cool things and some developers like oh yeah cool new toys let's get them in there but i look at them and i go i have to be pragmatic about what the upgrade of this piece of software is going to take x amount of time based on um based on you know the the fact that we want to upgrade the framework usually it's not that much effort to to upgrade.net but sometimes it is like for example the work that i've been doing for a client for the last couple of years um i mean at the second year now pretty much and they that upgrade they hired me specifically to to manage that upgrade and to upgrade all of the packages Mm. and to also create packages and change i mean we're still doing it and we're still going to be doing it for quite a while yet there's a lot involved in it because it's a massive legacy piece of software but there's also lots of re-architecture to do as well so there's a hell of a lot of things going on but specifically there was an upgrade of the framework as well a, a core framework upgrade that we needed to do there's lots of things in their code base that aren't in the new version of the framework they've been deprecated so we have to they, they've put it off for years upgrading to this later version they've finally made that decision and they've invested in it and they've catered for it in terms of their time scales and deliverables to their clients that's a, it's a commercial decision we have to make at that point so you have to weigh up what are the benefits of the new upgrade and how long is it going to take me it turns out that 3.1 to 5 in .NET world is actually quite an easy upgrade. Most of the time, there's still some caveats there, of course. But the benefits you get from moving to 5 greatly outweigh the amount of time you would, you know, the effort you would have to put into into it. 
because there's new language features that make our lives easier and the code more terse. See, I think uh, when it comes to the stuff that I do, you know, and the world of PHP, PHP 8 is, is that on the market. Now? Yeah, came out uh, November 20th, 2020. It's a fantastic day. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> you know, we have that. And do you have clients, Chris, that are just aware enough to be dangerous? Oh, yes. I have clients that are extremely aware. I have clients that have individual members of staff in senior positions that are more aware or they think they're more aware than they are. Mm. Um, And they make wide sweeping decisions without really fully understanding what decisions they're making. For example... One of my clients have recently made a decision to move their desktop applications into the web world without fully understanding the massive change that they have to make because they have so much reliance on this code base that is desktop focused. And they think that opening a browser up, uh, a browser would have like, for example, let's talk about these thumbnails we're, we're, we're talking about here. Oh, um, just wrap it in Electra. It'll be fine. Uh, well, no, unfortunately, because it's not a typical JavaScript application either, unfortunately. It is a web. I'm not getting into it, right? But I, I'm trying to keep no, away from specifics here. I've actually heard that before. <laughs> um, but anyway. So, so, sorry, it's, it's, just, it's just one of those things that I've heard recently. It just made my brain go, just stop. But anyway. I mean, I, I actually really want to play with Electron and figure out how it works, but I think there's probably a more to it in the enterprise than, uh, than you know, than the people get excited about it, uh, let on. But anyway. I just look at it like a Chromium without tabs, but anyway. You make this wide-sweeping decision that you want to move to the web from a desktop world and a history of a desktop applications, et cetera, and you make it, and then there's all these design decisions that you've made in terms of, you know, architecture and stuff, and it's like you've made assumptions there that you can do the same thing in the web world that you can do on the desktop world. When you're native, as we all know, you have a lot more access to things like um, the file system, um, the hardware on the machine that you're on, that kind of thing, registry. Well, if you're on Windows, but if you're not, you know, basically the file system in Linux. And when you move into the web world, you can access some of those. In fact, you can access all of those, but the effort to access all of those is considerable. And also that introduces lots of security considerations in terms of being able to uh, access and deploy them, especially in highly secure environments, um, such as some corporate networks, etc. So you have to consider all of that. And then not, you know, you luckily you have people like myself who can come in and give that advice, but not engaging them early enough and this is why in the scrum process you should you know when you're planning and putting your pbis together etc you should always include your developers in that because they have more context and understanding of the technical limitations and the technical capabilities of what you're trying to achieve yeah. you know so and that- usually that's usually why you see technical architects involved but uh yeah but volts track has asked an interesting question yeah so indeed. i think we should answer this so what's worse, though, clients He's that asked- are too proactive in pushing changes or clients that don't want to put time slash money into maintaining? Oh, that is a good question. Josie, what do you think? 
clients that don't want to put the time or money into maintaining. Do you think that's worse than people who are pushing changes on you because they they are more that they they have a little bit of knowledge and they they the reason why i say that is every client that i have who who the question my what i was leading into with the do you, you have clients that know just enough to be dangerous you know i have the clients who like to be bleeding edge even though nothing that they do is bleeding edge and those particular clients are the ones who are like yeah so when are we on php 8 and i'm like why do you need it but they're able to have that engaged conversation with me we're able to discuss the process i have not met one that has full-on forced me to do something i will walk away from a job like that that's the beauty of our our world though josie as self-employed i, I know that people, is very much the walk beauty away. of our world but Having a client that doesn't want to put any time or anything into maintenance, I cannot have them as a client. I, it's, it's stipulated in my contracts. We must perform security maintenance, and it must be covered under contract time. It has to. Because just because I have you sitting on your own little server somewhere does not mean that you are not going to impact anyone. I have had a server where the client didn't want to keep things maintained, where I got a phone call in the middle of the night from a university going, why is this server communicating and sending a spam? I don't play that game. Mm. I don't do that. That server ended up compromised because they were very hesitant. And that was the last time where I was like, fine, we'll follow your cycle. No, you came to me because I have an expertise. Either trust my expertise in this, or we can't work together. It's that simple. Absolutely, and then again, we're, it's our prerogative to, to be able to do that and be able to push clients away or advise them one I, way or another and explain to them why it's important. And that's a key thing in our job is to be able to actually explain to them that these are my values. I I've I've said multiple times I value quality. You, val- you value security very, very highly, and we know that. I value the quality of the code that I write in terms of the design decisions that I make aren't just for now. And I know there's there's such a thing as um, Yagni, you know, you aren't going to need it. And a lot of clients sometimes, they don't say it out loud, but they sometimes worry that I'm over-engineering uh, or over-architecting things. Whereas a lot of the time I'm like, this is not much eff- effort. It's not much overhead. Yes, there might be some effort and overhead for you to understand it. But in terms of the actual There's- implementation of it, it's not hard to do this. And it gives us loads of benefit. Not just now, but also in the That's future. That's the thing. There's a perception. Yeah, but see, there's a perception in maintenance. Like hearing me say that I am running hourly checks on certain things and I have a constant check that I do every single day on every single one of my client's sites, the ones that I host and the ones that I don't, you know, along with the other stuff that I do because I do more than web hosting. Yay. But anyway, I check on them. It may seem like it must take me forever. It doesn't because I have tests set up to run certain things to check for certain things. I have a very simplified process that is automated. Do I need to keep that automated process maintained? Heck yeah. Holy cow, yeah. And can that be a nightmare? At times, absolutely. But it is a um, it is a risk I've undertaken because how important, like you say, security is to me. You know, I, 
I worry that um, there are too many people who are being led astray in the world of development. They may think that something is very simple. Oh, just change this one thing. It should be easy. It's just a line of code. And yet the ramifications of that one line of code, I have seen it fail so horribly because of an introduction of a zero-day bug. Like, there is a perception of what uh, the weight or the actual value of time that you would lose for a maintenance thing. Like you said, discovered in a spike. You know, if you're, tr if you're unsure of how long it would take to do an upgrade, if you're unsure of what it would take for a certain maintenance thing, Test it. Then do a spike. Test it. And the, I think, the only thing I don't want to deal with is somebody who sits there and swears that they are right, that just changing this one thing, it's just one thing. It's not going to have a dramatic impact. The, it, it brings nightmares to my eyes. Well, of the, in that instance, like, then yeah. uh, for me, I say absolutely go ahead with it you know because i'm in a different situation for you again but I, I we never work on production systems either it's more there's always development systems and, and integration systems and test systems and qa departments usually as well to do testing on things yeah um, not all the time but sometimes that you know most of the time that that exists in my world but i'm not i never offload my testing i take full responsibility for things that i've done and uh, things that i deliver but i've developed a way to um over the years to develop software that is it has a minimum amount of bugs because of the way that I design and architect my classes and the way that I design my code it and the way that I write my code as well with test-driven development it's not foolproof we always have um, bugs and, and difficult things to find but I don't have to troubleshoot and debug my code my own code very often because when I deliver it and design it, I have almost 100% confidence that it is written in a way that um, is fit for purpose and catches most use cases. And I'm not much slower than somebody who doesn't do that, you know, because again, I've developed this this way of working. And there's a lot of developers who, who do that as well. I'm not unique in that sense. But just mm -hmm. changing something, especially in a production system, I've done it before, I've thought, I remember one of my first four par, uh, pars, four, four, whatever they are. Uh, I, one of my first oh, mistakes when in a production system when I was a junior was I had a SQL Server stored procedure. I it was a very small procedure, and it was running live in a TCP socket on a customer's site. The, the code, I mean, it was a big application, but there was this one store procedure, and it was a tiny little store procedure that did one little thing, like select from a table or something, yeah? Mm -hmm. And I dropped and recreated the stored procedure. And I didn't, and because I, I, all it was was a tiny change. The change didn't actually affect anything, but because I dropped and recreated the stored procedure, at the time, that stored procedure, the reference to it was stored in memory in the socket. Mm. It was because of the way, it was VB6, and it was because of the way that the application domain kind of loaded it in and now I look back at it I kind of understand what it was but I, I probably couldn't replicate it but anyway I dropped and recreated the store procedure like 500 people that were working in a warehouse suddenly stopped working because this one store procedure which was fundamental to the operation of the system was dropped and recreated but if I'd altered it 
instead of dropped and recreated it, it would have been fine. But I didn't know that at the time. And these days, yeah. you'd never catch me doing that because there's no chance in hell that I would ever put a live fix on a server. Ever. I've had to do production changes and modifications before, and I don't like them. They scare me. It I'm, makes me sad face. If something's broken, and I mean something is fundamentally you know, absolutely knackered on a production server, then yes, I'll go on and I'll live troubleshoot it. But at that point, no one's working anyway. People are... No, know, that's it's, a P1. Yeah, that's, yeah, whatever you call it. But generally, I wouldn't get involved in that kind of thing. You know, before even I get involved in that kind of thing, it would be somebody who would restart the server and get everyone in the system to log off and log on again. You know, do the standard, basic kind of fundamental things. But I would hope that any software that I write or any component of software that I write would never get into that stage where it's fundamentally broken and breaking people in a live environment. Again, because of the mm. techniques that I have to write software, it's not, I just don't see it ever happening. I, I struggle to see that happening. Uh, although, as I said, we're not, we're only human. Uh, omnipotent humans may be, but we're only human. <laughs> well, none of us can <laughs> equal your majesty. <laughs> <laughs> your radiance and your majesty, Chris. I mean, that's that's just a very simple thing. But yeah. Um, so, yeah. Go ahead. We've we've talked about the, we've talked about the ideal world, but there's also the nightmare world, which is, which are you have a not you you're not a nightmare world, but the, the you said that you had a um, a log a monitoring tool of some mm -hmm. description that monitors Multiple. your packages and your websites mm -hmm. and things like that. We have something similar for the DNI website because it's hosted in GitHub on live called uh, Dependabot, which a lot of people who use GitHub may or may not know Be about. Be familiar with. Dependabot's wonderful because it's a little AI system and it just detects whether your package is in your package JSON or your um, NuGet.config file or if you're on old school.net framework or your, your CS proj files or whatever, it detects if they're out of date and they need updating, but it's focused around security updates by default. You know, if there's, a, 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 as you said, a, a zero-day bug or there's a fundamental flaw that needs to be updated. I have a problem in that, although it's nice to know these things, most of the emails that come in from GitHub, from Dependabot, <laughs> I just ignore them. I, don't, I mean, they're there. They're, they come into my inbox you and I look at them and I go, great, yeah, I'm not going to get around to that. Well, see, that, that's, that's, that's something that I actually call white noise. It's when you have alerts of any kind that become white noise to you, there's a problem. There's either got to be a change in the way you're getting reporting or what you're reporting on. So you should be able to potentially sit there and go, stop telling me about this. I know. Or, you know, only inform me if I've, you know, done a, a recent pull request or like what have you. Only like, inform me if I've, if when you, you know that having... I've got five minutes free, uh, but I haven't, you know. Yes, only inform me. I mean, after all, we all know that, you know, GitHub run by the great Microsoft, who obviously is now trying to dominate every landscape out there, uh, knows exactly what you're doing and eating for breakfast. They'll, they'll know exactly when you have time to deal with these particular issues. It's... Garmin do. When you get I'll tell you that much. Ooh, fancy. I've had that for a while. Totally though. off topic. And for those <laughs> of you who don't know, he just lifted his watch up to show you how fancy his watch is. But um, when you get a white noise like that, that's 
when you start ignoring, it's when it's like you can glance over it and you might be expecting to see a certain set of lines because you've seen it the same every single week or even every single day. Th- you can miss something. The thing with the Dependabot stuff, it's not that I'm missing it. It's that I am. I know that it needs to be done, but I haven't got time to update it. Yeah. It's and and I know that the the security flaws are important. But I haven't We should be able to click remind me 12 weeks from now. I mean, it's like But in 12 weeks my site might have been hacked, my server might have been taken over. So what do we do then? Now if it's well, commercial case, it's different. Well, no, no, no. See, that's the thing. In that case, you have taken on and accepted the risk of not taking the time to update it. Because technically speaking, you can make the time to do the update. You may not like it. You may be really pissed off with the fact that you're not going to be able to finish that mission in 2077 or play that new PlayStation 5 game, but you can make time for it. By you going and reading and going, yeah, I don't have time for it. I'll get to it. You have made a choice to accept the risk of not doing it. So if you are getting those alerts and you choose remind me again 12 weeks from now kind of a dealio by just ignoring and not actually doing anything. That is an acceptance of risk. It is something that I think ends up being neglected in a process for development. You have to literally write out what the risk is for doing or not doing a particular task. That's one of the fundamentals of security. But so, you know, Thank you for putting me in my place, Mama Josie. I needed to be told. <laughs> too i have an entire group of people who call me mom now and now i'm adding you to it oh hello children i know you're watching silently i um i I, it's one of those things that yes it's a guilty it's a there's a tiny little bit of guilt there but i'm also Hmm. as you said willing to accept the risk at the moment because of the amount of people it's a best book website for one it's not wordpress so the likelihood that somebody will attack our website is just as likely as it's a lot less likely than somebody would attack uh, attack a wordpress website i'm not saying it's impossible and you know if you're listening and you're malicious please don't but (laughs) it's it's one of those things i mean you've you've got the you've got a whole bunch of different type of actors uh that you have to worry about you know script kitties are going to be the ones going after the wordpress site because prefab code k go but if you've got like an, a nation state coming after dni stream <laughs> you know we might as well just say hey you but want our 2fa to go with it there's also you know? there's also the argument as well that our website <laughs> the the bugs on our website the the also rather security fixtures to the packages that we're using on our website are more likely than not now if i would be able to make this decision quickly if i actually looked through the list more likely than not going to be part of the dev tools which are used in the build exactly. process but not actually used and deployed on the website. Yep. There might be some things in the website, like, for example, Lodash being used under, underneath Angular or something like that. that yeah. And there's sometimes we don't actually have control over it because it's the package. You know, If we use an Angular, and Angular inherits from Lodash and they don't update their Lodash package, I'd like to think that they're more on the ball than I am because they they are a corporation you know it's Google it's people who who have time to maintain their software 
Uh, but that still means I have to update Angular, which I haven't done because every time I do, it's a three fucking day job to do it, if not longer. <laughs> Excuse the but language. See, Sorry. But see, it, it gets it gets crazy, and we're going to start going into even more topics about things. I just want to add that Tultepe has said security. That's like using one two three four five for a password instead of one two three four, and that just gave me a quite little chuckle. Yes. So. Yes, there is more that we could discuss upon this topic, but I think the reality is if you are in development, plan for the maintenance. Well, mm, make sure your company plans for for the maintenance if you okay, are that's a fair enough, that's a fair enough way to say it because you know there should be someone who is responsible for understanding what there is. That needs to be done. Security and patches. I, I look at it from my perspective. You know, I do everything. The, so. the thing, the thing is with me is that yes, I do do everything, and I do consider everything, and I do design secure first, and I do design with the latest patches and the latest frameworks, and I, I'm not scared of upgrading. The problem is a lot of the time I have to be pragmatic and I have to weigh up the security risks versus the you know most most of the time. The, the applications I use are either being run on a server which is locked down to hell and it, it's not even external you know it's a it's a process that runs you know it's a it's a windows service or a, a demon that runs in the background or it's um a, a, a logon on an internet that only people who use the line of business software that I've written are using and the likelihood that they're mm-hmm. going to want to try and attack it, is extremely low, very, very low. That doesn't mean that people won't get into the network and try and attack it, but they've got to do a lot to get to that point, you know? And usually it's not our concern that they're outside, they're in the network. It's somebody else's concern, as in the client of the client. But it depends, you know, a lot of the time. It's it's very different, but yeah. So there's a lot lot of different... Yeah, we we, we can go into this forever. We can, we can. Anyway... So shall we? Shall yes. we finish? Do you up, have then? any final statement you want to make? No, that was yeah. kind of it. That was kind of it. That that Josie and I look at things differently. Um, you you look at things because you work primarily in the public domain in terms of delivering your software yeah. as a website or as a web application that can be logged onto by your clients who are somewhere else in the world, and you need to host that, and that's on your hardware which you are yep. responsible for. So you have to be very very careful about those patches and why your um why your maintenance cycle is much more rapid and much more um live and security focused than mine would be whereas mine is about making decisions and being pragmatic about actually being able to deliver a piece of software to a client that's fit for purpose and isn't too out of date (laughs) you know absolutely but this is the beauty of the it world is we have these variations Yes. So we reached the end of this particular show. We're going to move into our BYOM, which is our bring your own manual. This is sort of our response to our TFM. This is our chance to share some knowledge that we have learned. It's been a little while, Chris. What have you learned that you feel the class might participate and enjoy? I, um, I learned something. I was doing some mentoring today, and I learned something from my mentee who... He is. Uh, he doesn't have the greatest amount of confidence. Um, he, he doesn't. He, he look. He looks at me with awe quite a lot of the time because I'm. I'm experienced, you know, and he isn't. He's very junior, mm-hmm. and I, I keep trying to explain to him and tell him that I learn from him as well. I learn how to explain things to him. I learn 
quite a lot. When he asks me a question I don't know something about, um, I go off and look it up and I learn something new and it's because of him that I've learned this something new. And I don't think he quite appreciates yeah. that it's a two-way relationship, you know. I think I think you sometimes need to, as a mentee, you need to take a step back and go, I think I, think I actually saw, have you heard of a, a guy called Simon Sinek? You must have heard of him. He's quite popular in the talk world. You know, he does a lot of uh, motivational talks and um, yeah. Kind of anyway, I quite like listening to him. You know, he does. He, he's very kind of blue sky thinking stuff. But I like the way he talks and I like the way he comes. Out. He said something very similar the other day that he was being mentored by somebody, and uh, his mentor said to him, "I'm glad that you're my mentor." And he's like, "What?" <laughs> it's like, "I'm you're you're but you're my mentor." What what? And he said. Well, I consider you my mentor. We, you know, we talk to each other and we chat, and I learn a lot off you. And uh, and he's like, well, I didn't realize all these years that this guy's. I've been, I've known him for twenty years, and he's always got time for me on the phone. I didn't realize he was getting something from it as well. But it, it is a two-way relationship. Anyway, that isn't my BYOM. <laughs> my BYOM is um, something that my mentee noticed when I was describing something to them. So we're talking about CSS styles today. Um, we were doing some work, we were doing some paired programming mm-hmm. together, and um, I said to him, um, I said to him, oh, that is the short, we were talking about the border CSS style. Was it border, or was it mm-hmm. margin, margin and padding? So <laughs> margin dash top and margin dash bottom, margin dash left, margin dash right, right? They're the longhand properties for setting the, the, the size of a margin on a, uh, an element on a page. And I said, oh, there's a shorthand property, yep. which is just margin, colon, and then you put in um, 0, 0, 0, 0, and zero, zero, four, zero. Yeah, you whatever, you, whatever you want for it. Yeah. That's yeah. what, you know, that's the shorthand for it. But you can also do it with two-part and three-part, et cetera. But anyway, the four-part, I explained it to him, and then I clicked on the dev tool that we're using and opened it up, and I said, I showed him what the actual values were. And he immediately went, oh, it's clockwise. And I went, yeah. what? And it just never ever in my i've always struggled to know how to apply that i always have to look the documentation up and it's top right bottom left uh yeah yeah, top right bottom left and that's the order that the four part thing goes the patterns and i was just mind blown moment i couldn't i was like my god i've spent 20 years looking at this and i always have to look it up now I'm I'm not going to need to look. You at will it again. never forget again. Never You'll forget that again. No, see that that's that's the thing. Um, little things like that are uh, when when you start going deeper into the code, so to speak. Like when you're starting to uh, look beyond what could be taught in like the entry levels of development or programming, because CSS is taught really early nowadays in anything that happens to be web based. Um, you know, when you start getting further and further away, you forget little things like that. And having someone remind you is a fantastic thing. Me, I'm not even going to take that. It I'm not even going to take that as a reminder. It was I didn't know that. I never ever learned that. And he yeah. just in one second explained it to me, and I was like, my god, brilliant. But my point is, though, is that that kind of stuff is. Uh, Easy for some, hard for others, but at the same time, you have to know the patterns. And if you don't know how HTML tries to render itself and you haven't had that taught to you, you wouldn't catch on to the whole sort of weird 
cycle thing that they've got going because it matches across a lot of different friends. But anyway, I said I'm I'm constantly explaining like your, mentor, your mentee. Actually, no, your mentor is awesome. Yes, exactly. And I'm constantly explaining things to him and, and going through in detail as to again we were talking about how HTML renders and why the inner elements need to be considered before the outer elements in certain instances. It wasn't actually HTML for that. It was actually creating components within a, a view that the inner elements need to be rendered and created before the outer elements can know what to render internally. Um, so that's to do with the life cycle of the page. And, and yeah, I'm explaining all this stuff to him constantly, but just this one little tidbit of information, it, it's just one of them things that the penny drops and you're like, my Lord, that's brilliant. That's going to my BYOM today. <laughs> that's a really good one. Um, for me, it's uh, pretty much the simple frustration of having to pick CDNs. I have spent so much time looking at CDNs and it is fascinating to me how alike and yet how different they all are. Like CloudFront or, um, oh my gosh, the names are going to pass right by my head. Uh, oh, drop every, the, not droplets, buckets. Oh, good God. Every cloud system has a CDN of some description. So Azure it, Blob it Storage, um, AWS S3, I think, is a CDN. I can't remember. There's a sub-name or sub-genre of AWS is one. It's, yeah. CloudFront, is, it's a great thing. Yay. But no, my, the, I'm, the reason why our show is what it is, is we tend to try to pick topics about whatever it is that we're going through that week. This week is all about upgrading and adding new features, et cetera, but doing it in a way that can be literally maintained because I'm having to hunt down CDNs. And I'm just, I'm so tired of them. They're whole half a dozen, six out of 12. How do you pick, Chris? I write my own. That's what I do. Honestly, I have written my own CDN system before, um, and obviously the software that connects to it or chooses uh, the, the CDN. It's mm. probably back before CDNs were as widespread as they are, though, and it was more, and again, an internal thing that chose different servers depending on where geologically the user was. So I've written systems for people. Who, yeah. Um, in, yes. in my case, it's about hosting and a whole bunch of other stuff. I could. It's almost like I'm making my own version of YouTube. Oh dear God! But anyway, it's it, it's one is there. Ah, put my teeth back in. You can tell I'm getting tired. Mm. It's been a long week, Chris. It's been a hard day for me today. I've had a lot of queries, and uh, unfortunately, I had an accident outside my house earlier on today with our our. Um, window cleaner decided well very very icy and his wind his ladder went from under him and he is he okay he, he was bleeding quite a lot and i offered to take him to the hospital and everything but he wouldn't have it and i think you know i think his pride was hurt a little bit but he, yeah he's i think he's okay i hope he's i hope he's okay anyway so much love going out to fill yeah. our window cleaner <laughs> yeah. if you're listening phil it won't be i can guarantee that <laughs> But uh, yeah, we've reached the end of our show. A massive thank you to everybody in Twitch chat who has been chatting away and asking questions and for joining in. And for all of you listening in the future or watching us in the future, thank you so much for participating. You can visit and our giving website. Us your time. 
on www.dnistream.live for links to all our social media channels, Discord, Dev Chat, and Podcast Discovery platforms. You can also use it to contact us for any reason. If you've got any feedback, you've got any questions, you've got any topic suggestions, uh, you've got a funny dev story, or you want to be a guest on the show, please do get in touch. Lastly, do not forget to follow, follow our Twitch channel, which uh, if you're watching on now, or if you're not watching on now, is twitch.tv forward slash dnistream. Yes, and we hope to see you all next week here, Thursday, 7 p.m. GMT time on twitch.tv slash stream. All that's left to say is bye-bye to Chris's epic beard. Bye. It has grown, my friend. <laughs> What's that? Is it a gruff voice? Does my beard have a gruff voice? Goodbye. Beards. <laughs> he said goodbye to my beard. It's got to talk back to you. <laughs> oh, Wow. <laughs> I, I have entered the matrix, my friends. Anyway, it's goodbye from Chris. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> goodbye from me. And we'll see you all next week and hopefully in Discord. Bye. Bye.